you're attending in person at one of our three campuses or watching online, so glad that you're joining us for this series called Second Guessing Jesus. We all question God more than we want to admit. Not so much is God real, but is God right? And so we're looking at the Gospel of Mark and seeing times when people just questioned whether or not Jesus was right. Uh, to set that up, let me tell you a story that happened last month in Beaverton, Oregon. A man stole a car. That's not why the story made the news. There was a four-year-old child in the back seat of the car. That's not even why the story made the news. Uh, here's uh, the background. So a young mother with her four-year-old strapped in the back seat pulls into the parking lot of a grocery store. She thinks, I'm just going to run in for a second to get a couple of things. And so she doesn't get her child out of the car. She doesn't even turn the car off. She thinks she'll just be a minute. While she's inside, a man walks along, sees a running car, gets in and drives off. He hasn't been gone too long before he realizes there is a four-year-old child in the back seat of this car. He turns the car around, pulls back into the parking lot of the grocery store, finds the mother and begins to lecture her on what a bad mother she is for leaving her child in the car. In fact, he even threatens to call the police on her. After lecturing her for being a bad mom, he gets back into the car and drives off. Have you ever had someone give you a lecture about writing wrong and the whole time you're thinking, I don't think you're very qualified to talk about this subject? Well, think about questioning Jesus on the topic of religion. Because that's what we're going to explore today. And you need to know that Jesus was a very religious man. Now, that's important because we often hear today the phrase, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. If you walk daily with Jesus, you would never say that about him. He was a deeply religious man. Man. Now, when people use that phrase today, maybe they're defining religion as lifeless ritual and spirituality with the heart. Maybe there are people who've been wounded by bad religion or turned off by hypocritical religion. Um, by the way, Jesus was too. But Jesus didn't abandon religion, and neither should you. Here's the problem with saying, well, I'm going to be spiritual but not religious. Well, what does that mean? It means you have a designer faith that you created for yourself. It's a faith that can't be scrutinized. It's a faith that doesn't have to be integrated to life. It's a faith that doesn't have to submit to any absolute moral truth outside of yourself. Uh, it's a faith that doesn't have to be accountable to text or to tradition or to other people. The problem, though, is that religion is not designed. It is received. Paul said, I pass on to you what I received. And for millennia, the way people have encountered God is through the proper practice of religion, through submission to the sacred scriptures, through the observance of sacraments, through meeting together and being accountable to a broader community of faith. These are how people encounter the presence of God. And this is why Jesus lived, submitted to sacred scripture regularly practicing the observances and the rituals of his faith, 
regularly each week, meeting in synagogue, practicing faith in a faith community. He was a deeply religious man. And he was also quick to confront those that wanted to use a good thing in a bad way. And that's what we're going to see at the end of Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, it wasn't unlawful that they were picking some heads of grain. You can read back in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy 23, and the law said if you're walking along through a vineyard, you could pick a few grapes. Walking along through a grain field, you could pick a few kernels. Uh, you just couldn't use a tool. You couldn't take a shovel and dig up some plants, but you could walk along and just grab a few things in your hand. The problem wasn't the taking. It was the timing. They did it on the Sabbath. Now, notice the disciples are not trying to be confrontive. They're not trying to start a fight. They haven't been prompted by Jesus to go do something that would provoke a theological debate. They're simply trying to meet a legitimate need. They're poor men, they walk a lot, and they were hungry. But doing so violated some of the oral interpretations of the rabbis about what work means. The, the Sabbath command simply said, do not work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? And they just came up with pages of interpretations. You could take this many steps, but if you take one more, you worked. Uh, you could do this much in the kitchen, but if you did anything more, you worked. Uh, you could help a sick person this much, but if you did anything more, you worked. They called these interpretations the siag, I mean, fence. And they built these fences around the law to protect people from breaking the law and working on the Sabbath. And that's what the disciples have done. They've climbed over one of their fences. And so in their mind, the question they're really asking Jesus is, if you love God, then why don't you love his law? Why don't you stay on the right side of the fences we've built to protect the law? But they weren't just trying to protect the law. They were trying to protect themselves from offending an autocratic and easily angered judge. So when Jesus responds to his second guessers, he doesn't just challenge their interpretation of the law. He challenges their view of the heart of the law's author. And what he does is brilliant because he goes back to the very book they've been reading and asks them to reconsider. Look at the next verse. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And by the way, when Jesus said, have you never read, it got awkward. Because <laughs> he's talking to guys who have read that story a hundred times. Now, maybe you have it. So let me tell you quickly. David, as a young man, was anointed to be king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. But Saul, the first king, was still on the throne. So as soon as Saul learned David is a threat, he tried to kill him. So in this story, Saul's army is chasing David and his men. They've run out of supplies. They come to the tabernacle where Abiathar the priest serves. And David says, my men are hungry and in need. I got to have some food. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but basically Abiathar says, David, got no kitchen in a tabernacle. You know that. 
There is no drive-through lane in the tabernacle. The only food I have here is the consecrated bread. You say, what is that? You know, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> Leviticus 24 said that every week on Sabbath, they were to bake brand new bread and put it on the altar as an offering to the Lord, a food offering to the Lord. And the only people that could eat that bread were the priest. And the law is very clear about that. So ABA says, David, got no food in the house except the consecrated bread. And David said, I'll take it. And he did. And he fed his hungry men. Now, there's no way to read that story without concluding that technically David broke the law. And yet nowhere in the Old Testament is David ever reprimanded. And by the way, God was quite ready to tell David when God was upset with what David had did. And God never said a word. Now, what is Jesus' point? That it's not a big deal to obey the law? Hey, the law, you know, some things you like, some things you don't pick and choose what you want to do. No, no. Jesus' point is not that obeying the law is no big deal. His point is that to properly obey the law, you've got to discern what the big deal is. And so he says, next verse, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Yeah, we're arguing here about what the big deal is, and you got the big deal, the Sabbath. No, the big deal is the man. Now, Jesus isn't claiming the right to break the law. He's claiming the right to properly interpret it, that God's law was for man's benefit. For example, look at Deuteronomy 6. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Now, this was a paradigm shift for some of them and maybe for some of you. Maybe some of you bought the narrative that God gave you a bunch of laws to restrict your life and to be a burden, but you have to keep them if you want to go to heaven someday. No. Everything God has ever asked or commanded us to do was for our prospering, for the best possible life. The law's purpose was to bless people, not stress people. And this was especially true with regard to the original intent of the Sabbath. Go back and read the very first chapter of the Bible. On the sixth day, God made the man. And then on the next day, he instituted the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man, not the other way around. God did not make a Sabbath day and say, this is such a cool day, I need to create someone to keep it. He made the man and said, I am so thrilled with this creation, I'm going to institute a Sabbath to bless him. And that's what the Sabbath was designed to do, to bless man. In that time, most people were desperately poor, and worked hard just to live day by day. And the fourth command said, on that seventh day, you let everybody rest. The man and the woman and the kids, your employees, the servants, the slaves, even the foreigners and your animals, everybody rest, refresh, protect the health of working people and create some space in your life 
to refocus on God. The Sabbath was instituted to meet human need. And so the best way to honor or sanctify the Sabbath is to do something that would bless another person. And so Jesus says, my disciples are not disrespecting the law. My disciples are actually reflecting the true purpose of the law. Later, a lawyer would ask Jesus, if you were going to sum up the most important point of the whole law, what would you say? And Jesus said, well, I can give you one sentence, but it has two parts. Love God and love your neighbor. This is what the law is trying to teach us to do. And so what Jesus did then is second guess his second guessers. They said, if you love God, why don't you love God's law? And Jesus said, if you love God's law, then why don't you love your neighbor? And the point is not that Jesus is against religion. Jesus is against religion that misses the point. He's against pass by on the other side religion. Do you, you know what I mean by that? Remember the other lawyer asked Jesus the same question, got the same answer. Love God, love your neighbor. He said, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus told one of the most famous stories in all history of a man that walked down a road and he got mugged and left in a ditch beside the road, maybe dead. And the first two guys that walked by him were a priest and a Levite, very religious men. But it says they passed by on the other side. They saw a man in real need. It wasn't even a Sabbath day. But they didn't help him. Why? Probably because they were very religious men. Probably because they thought, you know what? He's, he's probably a dead man. If I go over and I touch a dead man, I have defiled myself and I cannot perform my religious duties. Therefore, in order to honor God, I can't go over and see if I can help that man. And Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus said, that's messed up. That's really messed up. When you start believing the way to honor God is to dishonor people. And so, because this was such a huge paradigm shift, Jesus kept having these encounters with the Pharisees about second-guessing the way he practiced his religion. And let me show you another, the very next story in Mark chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Isn't that something? You know some people go to church just to look for a reason to complain? Some people go to worship just to look for a reason to be offended. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, Jesus was a great leader. And we all recognize that one thing that great leaders consistently do is they try to create harmony. They try to bring people together and create peace. But it's not true that a great leader will always avoid controversy. Jesus knew that by having that man step up, he was going to create controversy. And here's the deal. He didn't have to. I don't want to make light of debility. I really don't. But let's be honest. This man's situation was not life-threatening. 
He had lived with a shriveled hand all his life. He could live one more day. Jesus could have said, meet me at 10 o'clock in the morning and I will heal your hand. But not today. It's Sabbath. It might upset some people. He knew they were there to accuse him. He knew what day it was. And he was quite willing to offend bad religion. So the next verse, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Of course they did. They were too embarrassed to speak and they were too proud to repent. But even though Jesus couldn't hear their words, he could read their hearts. And look at the next verse. He looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And I have to wonder if some of his own disciples did not second guess what Jesus did. If they didn't think, Jesus, this could have been a win-win. If you had just waited one more day, the Pharisees wouldn't have been offended and the man would get a new hand, win, win. But I think Jesus would have said, it's never a win to withhold love. It's never a win to ignore a human need you could meet, even if it is your enemy. And that's how Jesus did religion. He didn't reject religion but he modeled how to do it well. Because religion is like the Sabbath, it is made for man. Later, Jesus' brother James, in a little letter, would say this. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And so, I recognize that bad religion exists. I recognize it's turned a lot of people off, but the answer is not to avoid religion. It's to do it like Jesus did. So let me ask you two questions that I hope can help you about your own religion. Here's the first. Does your religion stress you? Religion is not supposed to be a grind. It's supposed to be a grace. It's supposed to bless you, not stress you. But whichever it does probably depends on whatever view of God you have. And if your primary view of God is that he is a judge who just can't wait to find a reason to punish you, your religion will always stress you. I know a lot of people like that. And when I ask them, when God is looking at you right now, what do you see on his face? Almost always the answer I get is he's so disappointed in me. I mean, I, I just can't ever do enough. I can't ever get it right. God is just so disappointed in me. And their religion brings them such exhaustion. That's not my view of God. Angry judge ready to punish. 
My view of God is father ready to bless his kids. Remember how you'd walk in, your kids are just about to wake up and you just look at your babies and you just delight in them. And when I wake up in the morning, that's how I think God looks at me. And if your religion is, I got to do this and this and this and this and this so God won't be mad, your religion will be toxic to your soul. Did you know Christianity is the only religion in the world that doesn't lead with this is what you have to do to appease God, but it leads with this is what God has done to show that he loves you. And this is what we do each week when we take the sacrament of communion together. We refocus and we remember that God delights in us. And so if your religion is wearing you out, making you anxious and making you exhausted. Can I be gentle but firm? You need to put Jesus back at the center of your religion. This is what he said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, Come do life with me. A yoke is a walking instrument. Jesus says, learn from me. Let's do life together. And I will inform you and teach you and show you the ways of God. And I promise it will not make life harder. It will make life better. And you'll never second guess doing life with Jesus. Does your religion stress you? Because it shouldn't. And one more question. Does your religion bless others? James said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means. And then notice what he said. It means saying nice things to people, not ugly things. If your words hurt people, your religion is worthless. It means being unspotted from the world. In other words, your neighbor is blessed when you show a model, an ethic, and a morality that is different than the culture. And it means helping widows and orphans. In other words, it means that your religion leads you to bless people who will probably never be able to pay you back. I heard of a man angry at God for all the suffering in the world, said, even I could make a world better than this. And God said, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Make the world better than this. Our religion should make our speech kinder. And I might add even our post too. Our religion should make our compassion greater. It should make our wallets lighter. And it should definitely make our response quicker when we see a chance to meet a real need. Now I know some people do religion very poorly and perhaps it's turned you off and you're about to give up on religion. Could I ask you before you do that to be fair, and look at all the people around who are practicing pure and genuine religion. And a lot of those people go to this church. Because of the generosity of so many people in this church, we were able to give a number of families last week money to start the repairs of their houses damaged by the storm. 
because of the generosity of people in this church, we were able last week to get in touch with a small church in our city with a number of older people. And they didn't have the capacity and monies to help those people with their homes. So we were able to give them some money to do that. Every summer, people in this church use their vacation time to go be camp counselors for kids who couldn't go to camp otherwise. Every month, people in this church go and they help fourth graders as mentors in public schools. Every week, women from this church go to a pregnancy center to be with young women trying to decide what to do with the baby in their womb, loving and praying with them. Every week, people are making meals for shut-ins and other people are taking those meals to people who can't come get them. Every week, men in this church are going to people who have home repair they can't afford and doing it for them. Every week, people are getting in little classrooms with small children and teaching them the stories of the Bible. This spring, over 1,000 people in our church on our Renew Serve Day will go all over this city and just find ways to bless the community. Every week, people meet with citizens in our community from another country who can't speak English and are giving them lessons in English to help them prosper in their new home. I'm just beginning the list that is much, much longer. I'm saying, be fair. All around us, there are people who have taken on the yoke of Jesus and they're doing religion like he did. You see, God loves you. And God wants to love others through you. Because good religion does a lot of good. And so I want to close with a story I think I've told before. I read it many years ago, but it still remained one of my favorites. The author's name was Dan Curtis, he's a believer. And he grew up as a young boy at a time that not many of us remember called the Great Depression, which meant his family, like most families, had very little. And so he was so thrilled when his father announced that his dad had put away enough money to take him to the circus. He was so excited they got in line behind a family of 10 Mom, dad, eight little kids all under the age of 12. And dad could say, I could tell by their clothes, they were even of more meager means than we were. The kids were so excited. The wife looked at her husband like he was a knight in shiny armor. He asked for 10 tickets. And then he let go of his wife's hand. His mouth dropped. He said again, how much would that be? And it was obvious he did not have enough money to take his family to the circus. And that's when Dan remembers his father reaching into his pocket and pulling out a $20 bill, all the money that he had, and dropping it by the foot of that man, touching him on the shoulder and saying, excuse me, sir, I think this must have fallen out of your pocket. And the man knew immediately what Dan's father was doing. And he grabbed his hand and thanked him and said, this means so much to my family. And that family went to see the circus. Dan didn't get to. But he would tell you he didn't go without. He would tell you that as long as he lived in that house under his father's roof and he saw his dad reading his Bible or saying, let's say prayer for our food or time to get in the car and go to church. 
He never had any issues. Because a religion that would produce a man like that is hard to second guess. Be that person. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for how he taught us what you really want from us. We thank you for how he modeled what you want from us. And we thank you that he has been so patient with us as we try to learn. Help us to be more like Jesus, not just to honor him, but to bless our neighbor. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.